in a galaxy far, far away, there has been an awakening in the Force. A new entity rising out of the shadows to be our only hope and the Star Wars Destiny website that I have been looking for. Top Deck TCG. This place is the bright center of the universe for all your gaming needs. Top Deck TCG has everything that is Star Wars Destiny. Use the promo code REBEL when checking out to receive 10% off your entire order. Now, that's a deal even the huts can get behind. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Hi, this is Timothy Zahn, and you're listening to I Rebel, a Star Wars Destiny podcast. Chief's names are difficult for many species to properly pronounce. I suggest you address me by my core name, Thrawn. That's all right, Mithron Orodo, Anakin said. Did this being go out of his way to be annoying and condescending? I think I can handle it. Mithron Nerodo. That's what I said, Anakin said. Mithron Nerodo. It's pronounced Mithron Nerodo. Yes, Mithron Nerodo. Mithron Nerodo. Anakin clenched his teeth. He could hear a slight difference between his pronunciation and the alien's but he couldn't figure out how to correct his version. Fine, he growled. Thrawn. Thank you. Forgery of imperial documents. Possession of stolen property. Aggravated assault. State your name for the record. Jen Arsene. We have a mission for you. I want to help. Good. The world is coming undone. Imperial flags rain across the galaxy. I fear nothing. All is as the Force wills it. Every day they grow stronger. There isn't much time. I rebel. Welcome everyone to Beyond the Game, a Patreon-exclusive series of episodes from Ivy Bell. I am Jedi Geek Girl, and joining me, back with me, to talk about book two of the, quote, new Thrawn trilogy, is the one, the only, the only other person, perhaps in Star Wars Destiny, obsessed about canon as I am, Forever Fett. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I mean, I'm super excited to talk about this book today, and I'm just super excited in general with all this information that's rolling out and this news about Star Wars. So it's a great time to be alive for a Star Wars fan, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. 100%. And due to the fact that we're trying to make this episode a little less period of its time, we're going to jump right in. But before we do, we have to talk about how you are doing, because we had a crazy weekend, and like you said, there's a lot going on in Star Wars and with ABG. So how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, there's a lot going on with Star Wars, a lot going on with Star Wars Destiny, a lot going on with everything. And yeah, I'm just really excited for, I mean, I think I'm pretty much on the hour by hour countdown for November 12th and the, the Mandalorian. I'm looking forward to Resistance Reborn that's coming out this week. Can't wait for Rise of Skywalker. I'm just in a like overload and just st- all Star Wars all the time. Just so excited for all the stories that are coming our way here. So yeah, it's just a, it's a great time. 
to be a Star Wars fan and I'm enjoying every minute of it. Exactly. There's a little bit of everything for everybody. But before we dive into Thrawn alliances, we need to talk about the announcement that was made recently about a new Thrawn trilogy revolving around the Shish Ascendancy. I believe it's going to be a prequel. What are your thoughts about it? And do you think we can have you back on a couple of months after it released to talk about it like we are these series of books? Well, I'll answer the second question first. 100%. I'd love to come on and talk about it. I'm definitely going to read it as soon as it comes out. I'm really looking forward to it. I have a tinge of disappointment because I agree that it sounds like a prequel trilogy, and I don't really want a prequel as much as I want more of Thrawn and the more timeline that's outlined in this trilogy we're talking about today. So I'm a little disappointed again that it's a prequel, but I'm definitely excited to learn more about the Chiss, learn more about Thrawn, and learn more about Arliani and all the other characters involved. So I'm definitely ready to go and excited to hear more about Thrawn's universe, if you will. But again, I was really hoping for a sequel because I think if anybody who's listening to me talk about this knows I'm just waiting for the tie into where Thrawn is today. Is he alive? Is he dead? And I'm just looking for that kind of evolution of a storyline to continue. So I mean, it's really exciting that they're going to keep writing. And uh, I actually don't know this. So I'm going to ask you, is Timothy Zahn writing this as well? He is. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. So it'll be awesome. So yeah, so I'm definitely looking forward to reading it and enjoying the stories. I am super excited just because I love what Zahn is doing with his Thrawn miniverse, I guess you can call it, I guess. I agree with you 100% that I would like to know what happened after Rebels and Thrawn Treason. Unfortunately, David Filoni has priority on that, and it's just a matter of time, I think, we'll get it. So until we get that book, TV show, maybe even a film, I will just take anything over nothing. So I'm really excited because... I don't want to get into Thrawn Treason, but the setup for it, I think there's a lot that he can dive into it. So, And it's more Star Wars, so I'm excited, at least. Yeah, from that standpoint, like I'm super excited because it just means that after we have the end of the Skywalker saga here, that like the extended universe now should start to really take off for Disney. And I'm just excited that Timothy Zahn's going to be a part of that and Thrawn's going to be a part of that as well. And, and like you said, in whatever capacity he's given to us. So I'm definitely super excited. And I'm super excited to know that every year for the next three years, I'm going to get a new Thrawn book as well. Hey Rebels, Bobby Sapphire here. This show is made possible through the generous donations of everyone who's a patron of iRebel. It is the pledges of those patrons and you, the listening audience, that makes iRebel work. If you'd like to find out more information about the rewards you can get as well as how you can play a part in iRebel, please check out patreon.com slash iRebelDestiny for more information. I myself am a proud patron of iRebel, and I'm happy to share my love of iRebel with you by telling you all about their Patreon page. So check it out, and if you like what you see, become a rebel by becoming a patron of Irabelle. Back to you, Sarah and Jedi Geek Girl. It is now time for the subject of this episode. Are you ready to dive into Thrawn Alliances? Yeah, I mean, let's do it. Thrawn and Vader are both iconic characters going back decades. However, until this book came around, I don't think we have ever seen them together due to where they were in the timeline. Not only Vader, but Anakin and Padme both encounter Thrawn. Zahn returned to Thrawn with a unique dual story and one that continues to expand what he set up in his first novel, Thrawn. Starting at the beginning, when this book was first announced, Obviously, it is kind of like a trilogy, but it wasn't announced to be a trilogy, so we didn't quite know that this book was coming. How did you react to it? Yeah, so I think I saw some of the covers leak and the announcement leak that on Twitter that he was going to, I'm not sure where I was, he was going to be writing another book. And I was just super excited because 
I always have like this little bit of a nervous feeling with Disney and the canon that like everything's not a trilogy, you know, that everything's not a duology or, or some of these books are just standalones, right? And I'm always afraid that's the last we're going to hear of the character for a while. Because like you hinted to earlier, they have a lot they're juggling, right? Like they have Disney Plus coming up. So they've got animated series, live action series, movies, you know, whatever they've got in the pipeline that we don't even know about. So I always worry that we're not going to get additional story points because they want to save that for a potential plot line in a film or something like that. I was super excited to know that that wasn't going to be Timothy Zahn's only entry into the Star Wars writing universe for the expanded stuff, the new canon. And two, I was just excited to continue the story of Thrawn and Vanto and their exploits and continue to see Thrawn's rise through the Imperial Navy and hopefully figure out where he ended up. I think Zahn did such a good job of creating his universe in the first Thrawn book that when he dropped the seeds of meeting up with Anakin Skywalker, it was something that I was looking forward to. I obviously did not expect a sequel to it. But when it was announced, I remember seeing the titles and being captivated. It was Thrawn with Vader, two iconic characters. I love Vader. I don't love, love Vader, but I still love Vader. And I thought that was going to be an interesting dynamic, as well as the fact that it was going to be a dual story with Anakin. Prequel trilogy is my heir. I love that stuff. So seeing that not only we were getting Anakin, but when it was announced that we were getting Padme, I was very excited for it because I wanted to see where Zahn was going to go with the book. And it featured things that I was genuinely interested in, as well as heirs and people who I love. So I was pretty excited when the book came out. And how I reacted when I first read it was, well, how did you feel after you finished reading the book the first time? Okay, so I'm sure this is an opinion that some people share, or maybe I'm the only one with it. I don't know. So I didn't actually enjoy this dual story with the hopping back and forth. So that was my first takeaway is I, I didn't really like it very much. And I didn't really like this book very much as compared to the other books. Now, again, I do love Vader. I feel that Anakin's storyline as a Jedi is one of the more unexplored storylines in writing. You know, there's obviously a lot in the Clone Wars animated show and obviously in the movies, but I feel like we didn't get because of the evolution, we didn't get a lot of story of Anakin, you know, again, to explore. So I was excited from that standpoint. But again, I didn't enjoy this hopping back and forth. And I really liked the present time story. I didn't actually enjoy the Clone Wars era story with Anakin and Thrawn the first time through. So I didn't like that as much. And that kind of detracted from the novel a little bit for me. I am usually a little bit less harsh when it comes to books. I usually like a book more than I dislike a book. Hence, if you ever ask me like what my least favorite books, there's maybe one or two at the bottom. But when I first read it, I felt like it was a little, I don't want to use the word hollow, but it didn't feel like it was on the same level as the first Thrawn book. I don't know what exactly it was. I think it was for me, at least the Thrawn character. We'll get into that later. But actually, I really like the Panama stuff just because I'm a huge, Again, that's my heir. That's who I'm a huge fan of. So, of course, if it's going to be something I'm really into, I'm really going to like it more than really much the Vader storyline, the current storyline, just because I felt like with the one that took place in the Clone Wars, it felt like there was a little bit more going on. Where with the Vader timeline, it seemed like it was a little bit more of a mystery, more than action, I guess, uh, at least towards the first part of it. But yeah, it wasn't one of my favorites, but I didn't actually hate it. But I don't want to say I felt disappointed, but it felt like it didn't live up to the first book the first time I read it. Yeah. And like, you know, you really hit it on the head there. And that's exactly how I felt and how I feel now. The storyline in that novel just felt like it wasn't giving me the same meat 
that I was getting from the first Thrawn book or that I've grown to expect from a Star Wars novel, right? Like I was getting kind of a neat story, but I didn't really feel it expanded on any of the characters, specifically Thrawn, which I found to be, you know, kind of disappointing, especially in that past 10 story. I also enjoyed the piece about Padme. I feel like she's another underexplored character, right? So I think it's great to have some writing about things Padme's up to and like her combat training and some of this stuff to make her a more developed character when she kind of sometimes took the in distress role in the, in the films a little bit. So it was nice to see her in that role in this book. And it was nice to see her independently go after her handmaiden and stuff like that and kind of expand upon Anakin's strong secret love for her to go on that mission to find her alone and stuff like that. But at the same time, overall, I felt it was, I, I felt like, although it was a fine, well-written story, I felt it was like a, a placeholder in the Thrawn universe while we figured out how we were going to take him in the future. Before we dive into our thoughts about it, the last time you read it, how many times have you revisited this book? I read it through, obviously, the first time, and I reread it through a second time, but I'll be honest, I listened to it the second time I read it and fast-forwarded through a couple parts. So it's very rare for a work of Star Wars fiction to only want me to reread it half a time, if you will. The only issue I had, the story points aside, I just didn't enjoy the hopping back and forth and nature of it. I have only read it twice as well, just because I'm not really one to revisit books, just because I haven't really started diving into books. I usually read it once and listen to it twice, so it's twice for me as well. But going into our thoughts about it the last time we read it, has anything changed about this story now that you had a chance to revisit it, or are you pretty much the same when it comes to where you are in your opinion? I don't think too much has changed for it. I think the only thing I had was that I just have a little bit of appreciation. I thought it was a really nice, a well-told story. I don't think my opinions on the plot really have changed too much. It seems like whenever I revisit a book, especially in audio form, I find that I have a new appreciation for it just because I, I didn't know the story, but I'm also revisiting things that maybe I brushed over or forgot as well as it is a new way to experience a story. So I always like things more the second time around, at least when I listen to it, especially now that I have read it after reading Thrawn Treason, I find myself appreciating more of what Zahn has set up. I know that a lot of people in the Facebook group for books and comics, it's like you can skip this book. I'm not one for skipping books, but it seems like especially where you know where the story will go in Thrawn Treason. It seems like it sets up a lot of stuff that I really do appreciate because we know in Tron Trees, and I don't want to get into it, that there's Grisk uh, a part of the story. However, in this story, not only are they introduced, but it is Thron's first experience encountering them, as well as the unique character aspect between Thrawn and Vader, their dynamic is very interesting. And I don't know, I, I, I just always appreciate things more the second time around, but maybe that's just me. Yeah, and I mean, I will say that this book did get better as we got into Thrawn Treason. So like I said, I'll stay away from it. But this book is very important for the development of that plot. I don't think it's worth skipping. I just think as a standalone book, it's not as good without knowing what happens in Treason. I would like to first dive into a little nitpick I have with the book. And that is the character of Thrawn. One of the things I like most about canon Thrawn is his dynamic of how he bounces off of other people. His character changed a little bit in Thrawn Treason, which we'll talk to when we get to that book. But as far as this book goes, it seems like he didn't have much of a 
development like he did in the first round book because in the first round book yes he had all these skills he was trained he was pretty much he didn't really have to grow much but he was still trying to navigate the political situation of the empire and learning the empire and growing through the ranks in this one it seems like he always had the answer it didn't feel like he was really challenged like he was in the first book and for me I found him to be a little bit annoying just because of that fact because you can be the smartest person in the room, but just because you're smart and you know everything doesn't really make you a deep person. At least that's the thought I have with this book. Again, I really like the dynamic between Anakin and him and him and Vader. But at least as far as this book goes, I felt like he was a lot more simply written in that sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree that Thrawn comes across as a little bit pretentious and egotistical with his skills a little bit in that story. I loved that aspect of it because he's so supremely confident. And I always love, I love this in the original canon. I love this in this canon when Thrawn's able to kind of go toe to toe and like point out things to force users. And a lot of these scenes here, he seems like a little bit more wise at some points than Anakin. And he's able to also match him with both combat prowess and logical reasoning throughout the various fights they get into. So I kind of liked that, but I agree that it was, I don't know, it kind of reminded me of like a younger Thrawn, like maybe Thrawn as he got older learned different ways to like, you know, hold his cockiness in the background, if you will. That makes a lot of sense, actually, the more I think about it. When it comes to the supporting cast, I think that's one of the strong aspects, like I said, of Thrawn. And in this one, we had established characters that we knew. However, it introduced other supporting characters, but it seems like they didn't have the amount of, I'm going to use the word charisma, as Eli. One of my primary thoughts when I read this was, where the heck is Eli Vanto? Like, he was the most intriguing character, save Thrawn, in the first Thrawn novel, and he's just MIA here. So I was like, that was, that was a bit of a letdown. And I get it. I get it with the nature of the story. Like, it made sense to do both a Thrawn, and I'm sure we're going to get into a little bit of those points, but a Thrawn past point with Anakin and a present point with Darth Vader being the same character. Thrawn remembers both. Vader has different views of stuff. So it's like, it makes sense, but it was it was a letdown to not have Vanto. and. None of the characters, whether they be the, the 501st commander's interactions in the present time, or even with those three humanoids that Podme ran into that worked at the factory, I don't think any of them added what Eli added to a book as a supporting character. I love Eli. However, I think it also was good that we got a little bit of time from him. I know, just like you, I wanted to know what was going on with him. I wanted to know what he was going up to. Now that we know what was going on beyond the scenes, that he was actually trying to work with Marvel to do a dual story where you had the story with Thrawn and you had him with the Chiss Ascendancy, which may or may not happen in the future, I can appreciate the character of Eli a lot more just because absent make the heart fonder. Not that it is justified that he is missed in the book, but now looking back at the book after reading Thrawn Treason, we know that it is setting up things to come together. So. I'm with you. I do miss it, but I also appreciate it just from a story perspective. But I'm sure we'll get that story of Eli with the Chiss Ascendancy before he meets back up with Thrawn someday. It's just a matter of time, in my opinion. You know, absolutely. And I mean, you know, spoiler alert, he's back in treason, right? I think he hinted at that. And, you know, it just absence does make the heart grow fonder. And that's the reemergence of Vanto is one of the most exciting storylines set up by alliances. An alliance, much like the second novel in any trilogy, is a setup piece. And it, it does do a good job of making you, it made me hunger for Eli and it, you know, the third book was able to deliver. So that was good in that sense. 
Another one of my favorite aspects of this book is the dynamic between Vader and Thrawn. Like Thrawn clearly knows or has figured out that Vader is Anakin and Vader is trying not to kill Thrawn, it seems like, because he is a valued tool to the Emperor. However, Vader has, well, at this point in time, he should be managing his anger a little bit, but, you know, he has anger problems. He wants to kill everybody, it seems like. So I really appreciate it because it seems like it reminds me a lot of the dynamic between Zizor and Vader. Obviously, it's a little bit different, but it's these two forces that are in the Empire or related to the Empire who are constantly going back. Maybe Tarkin and Krennic is another example, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so I think the dynamic is really, really excellent in this book. And I think you actually get insights into Vader more than you get insights into the Thrawn with that. Because like something in Star Wars in general, that after you watch the prequels, it's like, did Darth Vader forget he was in love with Padme? Did he forget the love of his life? Because like, obviously, because of the order of things, it wasn't really mentioned. And here you can see his almost desire to kill to keep his previous life a secret. You can feel that coming to the surface throughout this book, that Vader is like five actions away from just like taking out his lightsaber and lopping off Thrawn's head, right? And Thrawn kind of, much like the relationships you're describing, Thrawn kind of like pokes at him. You know, he makes these statements that imply that he knows and he knows what's going on. And, you know, it's obvious that he's put it together and things like that, but he never outright says it. And I think it's just interesting to watch the relationship evolve into, I don't think they like each other, but they have a mutual respect that they each have their own agendas as well. Like I think Vader realizes Thrawn has his own agenda with the Chiss and that Thrawn realizes Vader has his own agenda with whatever he's after. He's a tortured soul and all that. And then they're able to like come to terms that they both serve the empire and they both have their own things going on. And they kind of both have like a little bit of a disregard for authority. Like Thrawn handles the emperor's orders how he wants to, and Vader handles the emperor's orders how he wants to. So there's kind of like mutual respect, sort of like, I still think they do hate each other. But there's like a mutual respect for the value they both have to the Empire. I absolutely believe that Vader hates everything from his past. So even when Anakin respects Thrawn, he hates Thrawn because he respected him as Anakin. And one of the things that I thought was neat about this book is at this point in the timeline, Vader sees Anakin as somebody else, not him. He talks about the Jedi was two but two. Vader was never two but two. That is how he approaches stuff. And I think that is very interesting. The more we explore Vader in canon, the more we pull out because it obviously is the same person who goes through a transformation. But as far as he is aware of, that was somebody else. And I thought that was a really interesting dynamic to add to the character, which may or may not be true in Legends. I don't know. I'm not up on that. But I thought it was a unique thing to keep in mind when we look at Vader in that time period and in the original trilogy up until he finds out that he has a son. Sure. You know, I think it does a great job at that. And yes, Vader makes it clear he wishes to remember Anakin's past and his existence as separate things. And Thrawn kind of hints at that he knows they're not so separate. Another thing that was introduced in this book that I thought was neat insight is the 501st forever has been considered to be Vader's lesion going back to the prequel trilogy era. The 501st has always been with Vader. However, in this book, it is established and was confirmed by Matt Martin that the 501st under Vader is no longer the case. It is now the first lesion, which is pulled from the 501st adding depth to the fact that Vader is distancing himself from Anakin. What are your thoughts about the introduction as the First Legion as a concept? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty cool. Honestly, I haven't really thought about it too much until you just asked me this question. But I think it's pretty cool that we see that evolve. And I think it's pretty cool that we evolve from the 501st into this. And, you know, one of the coolest parts about Vader is always his sort of loyalty with his, I mean, not loyalty, I mean, he would kill them in a minute, but like his fighting spirit where he wants to fight on the front lines with his troops, right? And it's kind of interesting to see Vader's interaction with now a new brood of stormtroopers, if you will. So I think it's pretty cool from that regard. I would like to say I was listening to the book and the section of the book where he lands on a planet and he's leading a army. It reminds me of Vader. Yeah, he's this evil guy. He would kill you in a heartbeat. But I felt like he would be somebody that you would enjoy serving under just because of his power would inspire you with Ron, would inspire you with knowledge and growth. Vader inspires you with power. If feels like i don't know if you get the same feeling from vader maybe that is something that other people have when they come to vader not that you should be inspired by him but it seems like if you're on the battlefield you would want him on your side because not only of his power but it seems like i'm not into like the army so i don't know how that works psychologically but it seems like it could really inspire you on the battlefield to have a leader that powerful and intimidating yeah sure i mean they always say that throughout history and any both fictional and factual military, like seeing your commanding officer willing to put their life on the line and willing to get their hands dirty is always inspiring. So, I mean, being able to see him out there fighting Vader going out there, doing what he does must be inspiring. And like I said, he seems like he's the front of the charge. How can you not follow a guy like that who's just willing to go and start wreaking havoc? I always think that's been, even as a kid, and not to get too far sidetracked, but about Vader, one of the coolest things about Vader in the movies, in the novels, everything, is that he's always fighting. And like Emperor Palpatine is obviously a significant bad guy, but he's always pulling the strings. So you really do get this respect. I mean, like, again, respect, Vader is evil. But you get this respect for Vader because he's willing to get there and get his hands dirty. And you can see how his troops would, although they'd be scared of him, would be willing to follow him into battle. Another thing I would like to dive into in this book is Batu, which is commonly known as Galaxy's Edge, aka Star Wars Land, is a canon planet that was first introduced in canon itself. We knew that it was coming, but the first time we saw it in canon was in this book. What do you think about the inclusion of Batu? Do you think it was a shoo-in? Do you think it was a nice addition? Did you find it interesting outside of the fact that it was, I don't want to say a promotion for Galaxy's Edge, but a setup, if you will, of it? What are your thoughts about Batu in this book itself? So, I mean, I don't think it was a shoo-in to include. I don't think the plot of this novel would have been affected if they were on a different planet. So from that regard, I think it's a shout-out or a mention or an advertisement. What I think is so important is if you think about the overall universe, this just shows you how far out on the galaxy's edge, no pun intended, that Batu is. It's a planet nobody had heard of. They're not really governed by anything. They have a whole mismatch of stuff going on. It's just a planet where there's a lot of different alien species and a planet previously unknown, almost beyond the reaches of the Empire, obviously. That really like lends credence to where Galaxy's Edge, the theme park, fits into the Star Wars universe. If you had put this on planet XYZ, it wouldn't have changed the story of Thrawn Alliances at all for me. But I think it's a good way to introduce Batu to the universe. I agree 100%. It felt like because at that point in time in real life, they were, I don't want to say still developing it, but other books that explore Batu are a lot more detailed. It seems like they were just setting up very much the basics. So it seems like it was pretty much touched on, but it's a nice inclusion because if you do go to Galaxy's Edge, if you do go to the cantina, 
if you look at the walls, you can actually see the scorch marks from the blasters when Vader and Thrawn were there. So I thought it was a nice touch and inclusion, especially if you do go to Galaxy's Edge and look for those Easter eggs. I felt like it was nice seeing it, but it felt like the book itself, just because of the real-life aspects, it wasn't as detailed. So if you had a picture in your mind, it was kind of like hard to build compared to other books. But it was still a nice inclusion because we, as Star Wars fans, like to see things tied in. And I like the inclusion of it, but it felt like it was a itch that wasn't quite being fulfilled when it came to the details of Batu. Yeah, I know everybody can't see me right now, but I'm like vigorously nodding my head. Because like as a Star Wars fan, I love the tie-in. And as Batu evolves and the theme park evolves and things like that, it becomes better and better. But at the time, it was just the name of a planet that didn't matter to me. It didn't contribute to the story. But again, as a Star Wars fan, I do love tie-ins and this all-inclusive universe. And this is part of it. So from that aspect, it's great that the story took place on Batu. We have a bit of question that we are going to dive into. So we're going to wrap up this main segment talking about the book. Do you have anything else you would like to touch upon the book itself? And what were your favorite moments and or scenes from the book? Overall in the book, like I said, I just want to give it like a little bit of a plug. I know it's one of the commonly ones that it says you can skip. I wouldn't skip this. I think it's a good read. I think it's important and keeps contributing to Thrawn and the Chiss overall. And in terms of favorable moments, I just I do enjoy the banter between Thrawn and Vader and all the one-liners Thrawn continues to deliver. I really enjoy them. And I think that like there's one line that I looked up in particular that I really enjoy that's uh, you know, Anakin says that Padme will recognize his style and that's the first place she'll come looking for you. And Thrawn counters with is falling into the enemy hands part of your style. Right. And like it's just like a good zinger. And like I love like I'm a very sarcastic person and I know Thrawn doesn't seem sarcastic, but I love these little jabs. I do think the dialogue of Thrawn is really entertaining in this novel. But uh, yeah, I think it's an important novel to read and it's a good setup for what's coming next. I would like to also add the moment when Padme was explaining to Anakin about her situation with the citizens, about offering herself as being kidnapped to being ransomed. And Thrawn is like, is it common for your ambassadors to offer themselves up to be kidnapped for ransom? I thought that was very in line with what you were saying, and it made me remember that thing. So, yeah. Like I said, for me, that's Thrawn. I think that's a piece of Thrawn Timothy's on carried over from the old universe into the new universe that makes the character so amazing in both. Like, this book is chock full of those. And there is a lot of, like, the banter between Vanto and Thrawn in the first one, like we talked about in the last episode, is great. The banter between Thrawn and Anakin and Thrawn and Vader is equally as good. It's a little different, but the banter is really good. So it's worth the read from that standpoint. I really appreciate this book. I think people should be reading it because what it sets up for not only Thrawn's treason, but the Shish Ascendancy trilogy, which yes, is a prequel trilogy, but it's nice to see the introductions of some of the concepts which will be explored later. I love how Star Wars is secular. It is rhythm. It rhymes. And we see this in this book, not only in the story of Vader and Thrawn revisiting the same places, but some of the same techniques, like in the Anakin storyline, we see him use the Force to manipulate a dead body, which we see later with Vader with him manipulating one of his extra suits. As far as one of my favorite moments, there are so many I really enjoy in this book, but I have to give the shout out to when Anakin meets Thrawn. Thrawn says his name, his chest name, and Anakin says his back. He's like, no, that's okay when Thrawn requested that he called him Thrawn instead of his chest name, 
and he repeats it back. I'm not going to bother pronouncing it. And Thrawn is constantly correcting him, and Anakin is saying it wrong. He knows he's saying it wrong, but he still tries. It's just, I thought it was funny. No, absolutely. I, I think it is too, and I think there's all of those kinds of tie-ins throughout the novel. And like I said, even though I didn't personally enjoy it as much, I do think that I cannot footstomp enough that it is an important part of the Star Wars universe and of the Thrawn storyline and of the Anakin storyline, and there's details from the prequels. So, I mean, it's a good read, and it's definitely one you should take in if you're going through the new canon. I know we said we were moved on to questions, but I need to touch upon this before we move on. Double vision. What are your thoughts? All right. So can you just refer to me here what you're speaking of when you say double vision so that I understand? I didn't get the reference right away. Double vision in Thrawn Alliances is how Zahn shows the usage of the Force. When a bad guy pulls out his blaster, the Jedi or Force user would get a glance into the future of what will happen. And double vision is Zahn explaining that to the user. So it would be like double vision, shot to the shoulder, shot to the chest, shot to the leg. And then the Force user would react. So now I understand. So I think that's an excellent way to kind of demonstrate how the Force works. You know, like it gives a good explanation from the strategic standpoint of it and the future prediction point of it. It allows the reader to see what's happening in a split second with the Force and in the mind of the Force user as they interpret it you know, versus it just being like, uh, oh, hey, use the force and everything went well. You know, it was a, it was a good in-depth look, I think. I agree 100%. I know it wasn't popular, at least in the circles that I have been a part of, but I really appreciate that it just adds another layer to force users. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like I said, it just gives a little more look into the way the force looks, which is sometimes I mean, the way the force works, which is sometimes a rather unexplained area of Star Wars, right? And especially when we watch it on a screen in a movie or on television, like wave my hand, move the stuff. This is a pretty cool look into kind of how like a Jedi battle sense would work in a lot of ways, which is pretty cool. Diving into questions from our Discord channel and Facebook group. The first question asked to us is from Nick Hoover. He asked, how do you feel about Commander Farrell as Thrawn's new second-in-command? And do you like her better or worse than Eli from the first book? All right, so I'm going to try and answer this question two ways, because I'm going to try and answer it as if I didn't know what happens with Commander Farrell in Thrawn Treason. So after Thrawn Alliances, I didn't care for her at all. Give me back Eli. I'm going to be as honest as I can there. I didn't think her character added too much, and I was just wanted Eli back. Now, after Thawne Treason, do I like her as much as Vanto? No. But do I think she's an excellent character? And do I look forward to figuring out what her future is? Yes. I think she's a great character in the Imperial Navy. I am going to answer this question in the context of this book. In the context of this book, I felt she was like not very interesting. It feels like I couldn't get attached to her. As far as what I felt about her, we'll talk about that when we get to the next book. But as far as this book goes, she could be any other Imperial to me. And do I like her better or worse than Eli? Well, I think my last answer pretty much sums up that. They are two different characters and they have two different stories. So I think it would be unfair to compare. But one was a little bit more interesting and you grow with. And the other one, as far as this book is concerned, was kind of a little bit bland. But again, I'll go into that more when we get into the next book. Mid Rim Gun Runner asked, Where are the Grisk in the later universe, i.e., the sequel trilogy era? All right, so I think it's actually great that they are nowhere near the sequel trilogy. And I'm going to explain why, and this is my opinion of Star Wars in general. 
The greatest thing about Star Wars is the galactic conflict takes place between whether it's the Republic and the Separatists, the Empire and the Rebellion, or the First Order and the Resistance takes place in a certain part of the galaxy. But the galaxy is a huge, unlimited place in Star Wars, and it is completely 1,000% conceivable that the Grisk are operating beyond the Outer Rim, beyond the known galaxy, and are just waiting there for when we eventually interact with them. I think it makes all the sense in the world that they are not a part at all of the sequel trilogy. And if you go down trying to put all these different kind of conflicts and storylines in a movie like that, it's going to be too convoluted and too too much. It's just going to be too much. So I think it's perfect that they exist outside that. And I think it's important to understand that things are going on in the Star Wars universe, except on the two planets that the Resistance and First Order are fighting on screen while you see them. I agree 100%. And we also have to realize that they are in a different galaxy. They aren't really in a galaxy. And what Zahn is doing with the Grisk, it seems like it, it's escalating a conflict between the Chish and the Grisk. Not that they couldn't appear later in the timeline, but I think by the time of the sequel trilogy, which is 35 years later, I think they are at least in a state of being defeated. I don't think that it is impossible to see them ever in the timeline again, but I think as far as the sequel trilogy is concerned, I think they are in a state of being defeated or trying to rebuild. We haven't seen that conflict yet, per se, but we do know that Zahn is building up some sort of confrontation, it seems like. At least that's what I take away. And that maybe gets into Thrawn Treason a little bit too much, but those are my thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And he's building it to a conflict that has to be resolved because he's involved the Empire enough. But again, it makes sense that, for all we know, the Grists could all have been exterminated prior to the sequel trilogy. The Emperor could have just set the Death Star out there and handled them, unbeknownst to us. We don't even know. And I mean, I'm being a little facetious and sarcastic there, but, you know, the Empire has possessed the ability to just eliminate problems, and this problem could have been eliminated without us even knowing. It just makes all, again, to answer the original question, it makes all the sense it wouldn't be in the sequel trilogy. And if it hadn't been introduced prior to this novel, I would have been like, who are these people? And this doesn't make sense. Exactly. Moving into our next series of questions, we have a bunch like usual. Thank you, Lone Drawn. Lone Drawn 15, which is the wrong way to pronounce that, but I'm going to go with it. His first question is, before I ask it, I would like to give an insight. In this book, which we didn't talk about, Don introduced the concept of just navigators, which used the force to navigate hyperspace lanes. So they don't have hyperspace drive. They have four senses of children. He asked, what are your thoughts on the concept of just navigators. I think it's awesome, right? I think it's awesome that the Force manifests itself in another alien race and that the Jedi and Sith in a vacuum are not the only interpretation of the Force in canon. Now, in Extended Universe, we have a lot of different Force users and stuff like that. And we do have some here, but we very much have like the good Force and the evil Force. And here we have the Force uses a utility. I've had the privilege of reading ahead in this question, so I'm going to stop my answer there. And I'll answer for more thoughts on his next question. But I think that it's really great that we get introduced to the Chiss as force users in some capacity. I think to me, it makes so much sense that if you are a force user, being able to use the force to navigate hyperspace travel just makes so much sense. Now, I haven't read every book in Legends. So I don't know if this has been used in Legends or not. But it is such an interesting concept to not introduce, but to use in a more realistic aspect and other usage of the force in legends material i'm like i can actually buy into that that's one of my problems with the force in like comics and video games and written material compared to the films it seems like it's like elevated however i can buy into this fact and it just makes so much sense to me and it kind of surprises me that we haven't seen it 
until this book. Yeah, absolutely. And like from that point, it's just a very sensical way that a race would use the force, that a race of aliens would use the force without knowing exactly what the force is. Because like we've, you know, they may not have had texts or they were in the outer rim, out beyond the outer rim in another galaxy. Like they didn't know about the Jedi and the Sith. They don't have 30,000 years of Sith history or Jedi history to come back on. So it makes sense that they would find out that a group of their individuals have the ability to navigate complicated hyperspace lanes. And it's awesome because it's kind of like the use of a rudimentary artistic technique as opposed to sophisticated technology, which is a pretty cool inclusion in the Star Wars universe. And that perfectly moves into our next question from him. Why slash how do you think the Force manifests itself differently for the Chiss, i.e. Force-sensitive ability, fade as they age compared to what we would call the standard Star Wars universe where the Force is pretty much like lifelong? So I think it makes all the sense in the world to me, right? One, we don't know how sensitive they are to the Force. And then not yet in canon, but the extended universe, like there's some young adult children's novels about Obi-Wan's time training the temple. And we know aptitude for the Force is different in every person, right? Like some people are strongly and deeply connected to the Force and others are not. Others are somewhat sensitive to the Force and others are, again, are extremely well manifest in the Force and extremely strong in the Force. So it just makes sense to me that perhaps they age out of it because maybe in the Chiss evolutionary process, something blocks the body's connection to the Force or something like that. Or maybe it only manifests in female or it interferes with the midichlorians if we're going with that's what causes the Force, right? So, I mean, there's like a lot of explanations for how it could manifest itself differently. And I think it's just awesome because it just like brings a more robust flavor to the force, right? Because the force is what the Galactic Republic and its predecessors called it. But maybe they call it something different. Like the force could exist in a million different ways to a million different species. You know, we don't know what the connection is. And we know than Star Wars that we only look at the force users as to say the Jedi or like Luke and Leia or maybe Rey or Finn or someone like that. And like, you know, for example, they're like, Maybe Finn has like a slight force connection to the force. Maybe not. Who knows? We don't have any way. It's not like everybody gets tested for their connection to the force. So we don't know if in the main basic stuff like that, if they are connected to the force, then we just don't know about it. Like maybe an excellent pilot has a very slight connection to the force and he just feels very lucky and able to predict things, but it's not, doesn't manifest itself as a true Jedi-like connection. And we know that Jedi tested and rejected candidates for their academy based on their connection to the Force, not implying they had no connection, but not a strong enough connection. So, I mean, I could go on and on about the different ways, as you guys can tell, the different ways that this could manifestation could go away. I am going to give a very boring answer and say it's biological, but that's so simple. And I'm going to dive into a little bit of it more deeply and say, yeah, it could be biological, but they are from a different galaxy. So who's to say what the evolutionary, as you said, rules were in that galaxy? Because we've seen this in legend where people in a different galaxy had a different connection with the Force. And obviously I'm talking about the Vaughn for people who know legend. But it could be something a little bit more complex, like maybe it is a mental aspect of something happened to their psyche that prevents them to connect with the Force or to use the Force. I find it really interesting because it adds a lot of diversity to the Star Wars universe and it also makes the galaxy beyond what we would call, again, the standard Star Wars galaxy a lot more interesting because if every galaxy was the same in Star Wars, that would seem a little bit boring. So I'm intrigued by the concept. I really do like the concept. Maybe it will be explored without being explained in the future. I think that would be kind of cool. I think maybe that would be explored in the Shish Ascendancy. I know that people don't like things to be explored like microchlorians, but I hope it is 
at least expanded upon about how this is carried on from generation to generation. And I do think it's a simple answer as biology, and I hope we don't get that answer. But I would like to see it explored and expand upon, and I do think we will get that. Right. And like, whoa, spoiler alert, that could be a good topic for the prequel trilogy to address that in some way. Exactly. Moving into our next question from him. What did you think of Zahn's characterization of Anakin in this novel? Yes, I think we've discussed that a little bit already, but I thought it was a good characterization. I thought that it was interesting to show Anakin when he was a little desperate to find Padme, a little vulnerable and to sometimes show his strength and sometimes show his impatience and, you know, his stubbornness, as Padme commented in the novel. And, you know, to kind of show how Thrawn interacts with him and takes that all in. And then obviously we got the looks in the Vader that we saw earlier. So I think it's a nice characterization that, you know, lends to building Anakin's character, but it's still kind of in line with how Anakin's acted before on screen and in novelization. I really did enjoy his characterization of Anakin. Obviously, Anakin in this novel is closer to Revenge of the Sith than I thought it was accurately represented in this novel. I'm like, okay, this is an Anakin who's closer to turning. And we see a bit of, yes, he loves Padme, but he's also obsessed about her in an unhealthy way. Instead of focusing on his objective, his missions, he's obsessed saving Padme, who doesn't need saving. We know this about Padme all the way back from The Phantom Menace. She's perfectly capable, but he's so obsessed with her that it's no surprise it leads to his downfall. And we also see this in The Clone Wars, but actually reading it and getting into his head a bit, we can understand it and we can see it more. And I really do appreciate that insight because, yes, we have seen it. We do know what happened, but reading it, it just adds another dynamic of it. So I really appreciate Zahn's take on Anakin himself. I agree. The next question is, this book has parallel storylines throughout. A similar structure to the first book with Price and Thrawn. What did you think of this approach? So I don't mind dual storylines, but I do not like the flashbacks back and forth between the present and the future. That's just a little tie. I actually enjoy in a Star Wars novel and they have dual storylines that are eventually marching towards convergence, meaning that they will eventually come together because they're set in the same time or relatively close to the same time period, I don't love this flashbacks back and forth and stuff like that. I don't have a problem with it. I do like it. I would have wished that there was an indicator when we were jumping back and forth between timelines, like last shot. I don't have too much of a problem with it just because we see echoes of things from the past and the current present line. But the only nitpick I would say that there was no indicator when you were jumping back and forth, if that makes any sense. Right, right. You had to infer from what was going on. Exactly. And with the first novel, yeah, you had two different storylines going on, but they were approximately happening the same time. If not, you automatically knew that you were in a different storyline because you had like a different character where if you were reading this book, like Thrawn is in both timelines. So if this chapter starts out with Thrawn, it might take you a little bit to figure out like what timeline you are in. No, absolutely. There's a chance for that confusion to kind of occur. And like, I hate to think that, you know, while you're reading it, you unfortunately have to be like, all right, which timeline I am? All right, now let me understand the plot. Like you first have to do like a little mental check. Like, am I in the past, the future, the present? Where am I at? Once an author shows the ability to hop around timelines, again, you're always doing that mental check to make sure that you're in the right timeline before you ingest. So I think that's a bit of a, for me personally, I don't love it. I don't love it in any novel and I didn't love it in this novel. A final question for this episode. What do you think of the Grisk? 
I'm excited for the Grisk. I'm excited for another unknown, militarily organized alien species that can invade, can take over, can fight. I'm excited for the kind of manipulation where they subvert species and take them over by both force and kind of subtle methods. It reminds me very much of a species we have in the extended universe, but that might be a bias connection given what I know. But I am very, very excited for the promise of what the Grisk are as a threat. And I look forward to maybe a storyline again, like it's nice to see, I don't, not that I relate with the empire, but like we talked about in the last episode, like I'm rooting for the empire versus the Grisk kind of, because the Grisk are the antagonist where the Thrawn is the protagonist in these novels. So it's an interesting point of view for the story. And I look forward to kind of seeing that evolve and the Grisk kind of embody that potential, you know, bad guy to the empire. I really do appreciate and love this Grisk because I love what they are bringing to the table. They are a species of aliens that are outside the standard Star Wars galaxy that are not something we have seen before. We have seen a similar storyline with the Yushin Bond, but this is so different than the Yushin Bond, which at the very least, they are not absent of the Force. They are their own thing. They are not a copycat. And it will be interesting to see how that is explored in the Shish Ascendancy trilogy and how they were explored in Thrawn Treason. So I do like the concept of it, and it does show that Zahn, even though he is playing in the Star Wars sandbox, he's creating his own miniverse that is both unique, but also fits into the Star Wars universe. And I hope, because Zahn will not be able to write these books forever, we wish he would, but, you know, he's getting up to an age and he could retire or something like that. But I hope we see them in the Star Wars universe at a later time, like we have seen Thrawn being used by David Filoni in Rebels. And I'm sure we'll see other characters by Zahn in other materials in due time, like the smuggler guy from the original Thrawn trilogy. Thrawn card. Yes. So basically, I would like to see them in the Star Wars universe later, whatever that might entail, because I do like what they bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, again, it gives us a focal point for a large expanded universe with the both the prequel, sequels, and beyond. And it gives us, here's my optimism, it gives us a potential, like, what has Thrawn been up to all these years since the Empire fell? He's been returned to the Chiss Ascendancy fighting the Grisk. So I'm just saying it gives a potential explanation for him. It gives a potential explanation for Ezra helping him out against this evil. So I'm all about it. I love the unknown about it, and I look forward to learning about them in the future. I would like to say, and this is a little bit of speculating here, that we know at the end of Rebels, spoiler alert, Thrawn and Ezra jump to hyperspace, and we do believe they go to the unknown region. So what does that look like, and are the grisk an important part of that story? I'm sure David Filoni talks to Zahn. So if David Filoni picks up that storyline, could we see the grisk sooner rather than later in a non-Zan story. It's curious to me. Yeah, or could we be still my beating heart see Ezra Bridger in a Zan story with Thrawn? Oh, that would be so awesome. Like, will we get that sequel with where Thrawn and Ezra are? And like, in a storyline, you need one, two sides in a Star Wars story and the Grisk present this other side. They are so unknown and I can't wait. I think they are the best part of this novel that was introduced is the Grisk. I think that story does continue, and I can't wait to even having even more about it. And I would like to end on this note, but what if, what if the start of that story, which fans are waiting for, opens with Thrawn and Ezra imprisoned by the Grisk? Oh, uh, well, you know, sign me up for some of that. 
<laughs> I don't even think I can begin to say how exciting that would be. And like one of the biggest questions out of Dave Filoni content for me right now is where is Ezra Bridger? Where is Thrawn? So I'll take it one step further. How great would it be if Sabine and Zeb and some of the Rebels crews, you know, were going to look for him and found Ezra and Thrawn in a grist prison. And we started off with them trying to get them out. Oh my God. On that note, that concludes this episode of Beyond the Game. Coming up next, we tackle Thrawn taking on the conniving Krennic while also helping out his people in Thrawn treason. Forever Fett, this has been a blast. I cannot wait till next episode. If people would like to contact you, where can they find you? Yeah, you can hit me up on Facebook. Come find me at Airbrook Gaming. I'll be answering Airbrook Gaming's Twitter, Facebook. You can find me in Discord, wherever. I love talking Star Wars. Hit me up. And you can find me everywhere at Jedi Geek Girl. That concludes this episode of Ari Bell. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, I have been Jedi Geek Girl. Jedi Geek Girl, out. This has been I Rebel, a Star Wars Destiny podcast. I have been your host, Jedi Geek Girl. If you would like to contact me, please send me an email at irebeldestiny at gmail.com. And as always, may the force be with you. Bell is an independent podcast, not associated with Lucasfilm, Disney, Fantasy Flight Games, or any other organization. All copyrights for Star Wars, Star Wars Destiny, and all other properties belong to the proper copyright holders.